racing to be the best in the world. He's going down the inside. Liam Lawson in his F1 debut for Alpha Tauri gets past Charles Leclerc, but this boy has got an awful lot of potential. He's just 21. New Zealand's 10th Formula One driver and the first in about 40 years. From go-karting, Formula Ford to Toyota Racing Series, all the way to Formula One's feeder categories, Lawson has had no problem rising to the top. Liam Lawson wins! You get one shot at F1. I still can't believe that I'm having a shot right now, but basically it is happening right now and so I need to try and make the most of it. And while that's going on, we're seeing more and more Kiwis hitting the highs in motorsport. Here's another name for you, Louis Sharp. Going up against some of the best drivers in the world I think is going to be absolutely awesome. From the rev of the engine to the thrill of speed, Marcus Armstrong. I mean, I just love driving race cars. Dunedin's Emma Gilmore making history as McLaren Racing's first ever female driver. It is such a huge honour. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, we talk to a motorsport aficionado about just who Liam Lawson is and how he's rising to the top. And why does it seem Aotearoa's in a bit of a motorsport boom? Josh Revel runs a YouTube channel all about Formula One and motorsport. He's been following Liam Lawson's career pretty closely. Yeah, nah, so he came from Pukekoe. So that's, you know, decent place to be at, where the circuit, well, was, it's now gone. But uh, good motorsport background. He started off in go-karting, which is what almost every young driver does. So this is Liam's first time at a go-kart, and he would have been six. And his helmet's obviously way bigger than his head. But all he wanted to do after his first time in it was get back in it. Won a couple of titles um, here and there and then progressed into racing cars in 2015, I think it was, driving in Formula First. I've been scratching my head wondering why there are so many great New Zealand racing drivers. And the answer is very simple. Yes, they all start in carts like every country in the world. But the real secret is this, Formula First. This is where all the international drivers currently have started. That's the lowest form of racing cars leading up to Formula One. It's probably the best way for a 14, 15 year old driver to break into racing, especially if they don't have the ultra elite budget. And he got in there with a scholarship, the Speed Sports Scholarship with Sabre Motorsport. It wasn't the greatest car in the world, but um, ultimately it allowed him to, you know, to be able to prove what he prove what he could do. Then the next season, he went into just the step up into Formula Ford. Formula Ford, is, they are hugely entertaining to drive. Honestly, it's a real pure little form of motorsport. And it's, it is an extension to karting. Of the 15 races that year, he won 14 of them and became, oh, the, okay. uh, became the youngest driver in the world to win a national championship at that category. Are these all New Zealand-based races? or are they- Yeah, they're all New Zealand championships. But, you know, the, the Formula First and the Formula Ford... I mean, those two are traditionally the very entry-level sort of categories into racing. Okay, so he won 14 out of 15 races. Where did he go from there? So after that, he went over to Australia for the Formula 4 Championship. It's a real privilege for us to be showcasing our development category here on the Formula 1 Grand Prix. And hopefully some of the kids that we see racing in a Formula 4 will also see in a Formula 1 in the not-too-distant future. He went over there. It went okay. It wasn't 
totally brilliant, though. I think he got second or third in the championship, which is all right. But with what was expected, I think some people were expecting him to do a little bit better. At the beginning of 2019, he uh, signed up to the Toyota Racing Series, which is here in New Zealand. The Toyota Racing Series, or TRS for short, has become one of the most prominent racing series outside of Europe in recent years. First started as a local championship for young Kiwi racers to get some experience without having to head abroad, the series has now become a place where drivers from around the world can compete during the usual winter off-season. Now, the Toyota Racing Series is a five-weekend affair. Five weekends in a row, touring five tracks of New Zealand, they're trying to find the next up-and-coming driver here in Aotearoa, but at the same time, they're inviting all of these prospects from all across the world to compete in it. And ever since international drivers have been coming in since 2010-ish, there have been about eight drivers, I think, that have gone on to Formula One. We had a stretch where there were three champions in a row and all of them went to Formula One, including Lando Norris and Lance Stroll. The big favourite was Marcus Armstrong, who's now in IndyCar. You know, he was being touted as perhaps New Zealand's best prospect in a long time to get to Formula One. Liam was in the same team, but he had none of the experience. First round in Highlands uh, Motorsport Park in Cromwell, he overtook Armstrong on the outside, going into one of the fastest corners on the track, and everyone's like, whoa, hang on, what's this? And he won the championship over Armstrong and won the New Zealand Grand Prix while he was at it. Liam Lawson is going to win the championship. Yesterday, at just 16, Liam won the New Zealand Grand Prix after a gruelling duel with rival Marcus Armstrong at Manfield. I thought the race was over. After Marcus ran me off the truck, I thought that was it. We, we were done, but... um. We, we fought on, and uh, he got a penalty for it, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. We didn't expect this. No one expected it. There's a lot of brave drivers out there. There's not a lot that can actually pull it off. There'll be times where someone heads into a corner, and you're like, you're not going to stop that, mate. You're, you're gone way too deep into there. And sure enough, they end up in a heap at the side of the track, surrounded by bits of what used to be their car. But in, in the case of Liam, he'd pull it off and you're like, okay, <laughs> that is astounding. He always had good results throughout his career, but in this case, it was just such an unexpected result and it was such a comprehensive win that by the end of the weekend, I think he was approached by three Formula One academies and ended up signing for Red Bull. That's what gave me my break with Red Bull, basically. I had a really cool overtake on somebody and had a great weekend. We won two of the races and we got the contract after that weekend. So it was cool that it came from New Zealand, from, from home. It started him on the path to where he is uh, nowadays. Well, where did that come from? Where did that kind of unexpected drive come from? It was probably the perfect storm for Liam because in that championship, he was with the best team anyway. Apart from the experience, he did have the machinery under him. It was just a matter of him exhibiting his talents, and he did just that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But okay. again, again, like even for everyone that knows their stuff in motorsport, we all looked at it and we're like, what? <laughs> we just did not expect any of this. What's he done this year, and how has he got to Formula 1? Where has he been racing this year? So this year, Red Bull threw him into the Super Formula Series in Japan. Super Formula, the best. Open-wheel, single-seater race series. It's sort of in between where Formula 2 is and Formula 1 is. They're very close in pace to a Formula 1 car, but just lacking a little bit of gusto, I suppose. 
it's a very competitive championship. These are solid drivers, and Japanese racetracks are a bit like ours. Not to say that they're bad. They're fantastic tracks, but they're very punishing if you get it wrong. Where did Liam kind of sit in that? He went into there in Team Mugen, arguably the best team on the grid, but he did have the two-time defending champion as his teammate. So that's hard. Everyone knows how good they are. On his debut, one. With big speed and big confidence, Liam Lawson ran round the outside of his Team Mugen teammate to take the lead. Liam Lawson taking his first win and his first attempt, the first rookie to do so this century, and the first rookie to do so in Super Formula for nearly half a century. It was fantastic, and you know, he was passing people on the outside. People were keen to see how he would go, and motorsport aficionados thought, if he could just hang in there, that would be great. But with what he was doing, it's like, okay, Red Bull, put him in Formula 1 now, because everyone watching knew this was something special. The second race he won, which was at Autopolis. It's great to repay the team and, and have, a, have a good race. It puts us in a great spot in the championship, uh, and it's a nice feeling, obviously, to, to grab another win. About mid-season now, I'm excited for the rest. So he made an early pit stop. Then a safety car came out and people behind him who were massively fast made their pit stop. They had newer tires. And I thought, oh, he's, he's doomed. He's not going to be able to hold him off. He drove away. He drove away. It's like, I, I don't even know. I, I, I know Liam. I know how good he is. But I can't explain this. This makes no sense. It makes no sense how he managed to do this. Then he won again, um, you know, in the coming rounds. And now he's heading into the final round as potentially a championship favorite. To win in your debut year is just insane. But in between the second to last round and the last round, things happened. Yeah, so how did he get into Formula 1 then? How did he get into the race? So he's a reserve driver for Red Bull and for AlphaTauri with the sister team of Red Bull. At the Dutch Grand Prix... Daniel Ricciardo, fan favourite, you know, person who was just drafted in to replace Nick DeVries, who was fired mid-season. This afternoon, we had some stunning news that Australian driver Daniel Ricciardo would be returning to Formula One. The popular Australians had 232 starts for eight wins, and after sitting out the first 10 races of this year, he has just been announced as the replacement driver for Nick DeVries at AlphaTauri. In a crash in the second practice session in the Dutch Grand Prix, Ricardo broke his hand whilst trying to avoid a stranded Oscar Piastri on the side of the road. Yes, yeah. please. Are you okay? You okay? I also uh, my hand. The moment he broke his hand, it was immediately apparent that he was not going to race that weekend, evidently, and probably not for the next few ones. There was talk about who they would put in. But ultimately, they said, we'll put Liam Lawson in. It's a dream come true for the pride of Pukekohe, Liam Lawson. The 21-year-old will become the 10th New Zealander in history to officially race in Formula One Monday morning in the Dutch Grand Prix. Now, a track like Zandvoort, which is uncompromising, like, you get one foot wrong, you're in the barrier. And that weekend, it was pouring with rain. So, <laughs> great. He never drove that car before. They, he never drove that. 2023 Formula 1 car before never drove a Formula 1 car on wet or intermediate tyres before never drove that track in a Formula 1 car before never drove in Formula 1 you know racing conditions before never drove a Formula 1 race you know length or anything like that before you couldn't find a way to make it more difficult so he was thrown completely into the lion's den here 
And I think most people thought, look, just don't hit the wall. You can finish five laps down. I don't care. Like, it's no one is expecting miracles. And of course, qualifying didn't go brilliantly, but I mean, it's like uh, you only have like half a practice session and then you're thrown into the qualifying session with the best drivers in the world. What are you expecting? Mm. And he didn't hit the wall. Meanwhile, others around him, much more experienced, and, you know, some of them world champions were going off. So it's like, okay, good. That's all you needed to do. Then in the race, yeah, it started off a bit slow, but, you know, he was getting into it. He made some nice moves. He was, you know, hanging in there. And toward the end of the race, he was right on his teammate's gearbox. It's like, this is brilliant. You know, this is, I, I did not expect much, you know, because it would be unreasonable. But he's doing fantastic. You know, exactly what you needed to do. He finished yeah. 13th, didn't he? It was 13th, yes. Yes. Then in the next race, now he had a full weekend um, to go with. He had more preparation. He he knew heading into that weekend that he would be racing, which is not what he had going into the Dutch Grand Prix. And he was right in there with his teammate. He was right there, you know. And it's like, great, okay, because you're only going to get better here. Unfortunately, his his um teammate didn't start the race because his teammate's engine went all over Italian and blew, blew itself to pieces. Kind of unideal. But still, Liam kept in the race. The strategy probably wasn't very good because it probably lost him about 20 seconds. He had a bad start, but he was pulling off some wicked moves. He was going through the field. He was holding off people with better machinery. And he eventually finished 11th, just a couple of seconds away from the points. It's like, okay, this is damn good. What I would be hoping is that he stays in the seat until the Japanese Grand Prix, because at the Japanese Grand Prix, he'll be on a circuit that he knows. You know, he'll be able to hit the ground running rather than just playing catch up, which is which is what he's doing for all these other Grand Prix. So the Japanese Grand Prix wins that coming up. That's a couple of weeks. So of weeks, this yeah. upcoming one is the Singapore Grand Prix. That's going to be difficult. <laughs> Especially in those conditions, on a track like that, that's going to be hard. So I'm not expecting miracles of him. But the weekend after is the Japanese Grand Prix, and it's like, okay, probably the best best conditions for him to prove his worth because he's going to know the track. He's going to know, especially at those speeds, what that track is like. He's going to have a lot more to run with rather than these other ones where, like I said, had no running, has got no real sort of reference. So how long do we think he's going to stay in that seat for while Ricardo's out? I think realistically... The Japanese Grand Prix is going to be his final race for this year because Ricardo should be fine for the Qatar Grand Prix. But you never know because what we're hearing, Dr. Helmut Marco. Helmut Marco is a Formula One legend who's built the Red Bull team up by picking winning drivers. Is that he's comparing him to Bruce McLaren, to Denny Holm, our biggest, you know, you know, heroes of New Zealand motorsport. Denny was the 1967 world champion, and Bruce was a Grand Prix winner who founded the famous racing car company that still bears his name. And Marco doesn't like being positive. He's a grumpy old man. <laughs> so the fact that he's just all sunshine and rainbows over this kid tells you a lot. If Marco's singing nothing but praises about this guy, it means everything. 
great to hear that. But it also makes you think, okay, what's he going to do then? Because if he likes Liam so much, where's he going to put him in? He's not going to replace Max Verstappen because Max Verstappen is probably the best driver in the world. Ricardo is too much of a marketing commodity for them to boot. Yuki Tsunoda is not doing bad at all. In fact, there's no real reason to replace him. There's Sergio Perez at the main Red Bull team. And there is talks of maybe he won't stay around for too much longer because Red Bull needs someone who can be a bit closer to Max. But contracts don't mean a hell of a lot in Formula One. And especially for that driver as well. And the talk that you're hearing out of these guys so far, is it leans more toward, okay, they may bail him out of his contract at the end of the year. If they do that, it opens up a seat. And with the way Marco's talking about Liam right now, that could lead to a full-time seat in Formula 1. You never oh, know. Wow. Things happen fast in this game. That'd be amazing, yeah. It seems like a bit of a resurgence in international motorsport for New Zealand. Yeah, because we had a lull. Mike Thackwell was our last Formula One driver in 1984. After that, we had no one. And when it came to international going overseas and competing in the in the feeder series to Formula One, there was no one. Like in the late 80s, in the 90s, early 2000s, there was no one. The closest someone got, I believe, was Jason Lefting, who tested what is now Formula Two car. But that never materialized. Everyone else at that time was just going over to America, which is why we got, like, Scott Dixon, for example. And here's the fight for the lead. Dixon likes that high line and goes to the front. Unbelievable finish. Dixon is a 50-time He went the American route, and that was better prospects to go over to that part of the world and compete in those championships. Depending on who you talk to, it's... Better racing over there, better lifestyle, better everything. Obviously, Formula One is the dream, but <laughs> the many millions it takes to get there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we had the drought where no one really was coming through. Then, about the time the Formula the uh, Formula Toyota series was founded, you, ba- you gradually began to see a, a resurgence of these talents because they were being fostered through a series which would better prepare them for what was going on overseas, but it would also acquire the attention of these European entities. So that was like back in 2005, Five. yeah. We started seeing these drivers come through at 2010. So Mitch Evans, Richie Stanaway, Nick Cassidy, all those drivers, Brendan Hartley as well. Brendan Hartley competed in 2006. A year after that, he was drafted into Red Bull. Brendan Hartley going into the barriers at some speed. Brendan, are you okay? Yep. Suspension failure. Well, what about the state of our motorsport tracks in New Zealand? Like, we're losing some of them, but we've still got a few good ones. Yeah, so we've lost Pukekoi, which does suck, but I think it was a long time coming because there was talk of it going since the uh, mid-2000s. But we've still got great facilities at Hampton Downs, Highlands, Topo. We got a few good ones scattered around. At least we have some. There's a lot of countries that don't have racetracks. So we've still got some good ones, you know, lying around enough for the Toyota series to remain. If there is one failing in New Zealand motorsport, it's the selection of series. There are a few series that are dying out. The ones that should be stepping stools through the ranks, such as the aforementioned Formula First and Formula Ford championships, 
the grid numbers are waning. It's not the same as what it used to be, and that is a bit disconcerting. But it's also about money as well, because it costs a lot of money to race these things. Mm. Not everyone has that money nowadays. No, it's millions and millions. You really have to find a sponsor, don't you? Mm. So who else is... I mean, Liam Lawson's kind of the big one. Yeah. Who else is kind of making waves in the motorsport world, though? So, I mean, obviously you've got your Shane Van Gisbergens, you've got your Scott McLaughlins, you've got your Scott Dixons, ones that are established and ones that are just killing it, especially over in America. Shane Van Gisbergen went over to NASCAR and he was the first person since 1963 to win on debut. And he was the first New Zealander to qualify for that top tier level. The 75th anniversary of NASCAR and it has been 60 years since a driver has won in their series debut. Well, through turn 11, Shane Van Gisbergen has been perfect. Then you've got Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin killing it over in IndyCar, winning races and winning championships. And then you've now got Marcus Armstrong coming into the, into that championship, doing well as well. It's going well. Uh, yes, like, like you said, first season IndyCar. Uh, previously, I was in Europe doing Formula 2 and, and bits and pieces over there. So uh, I feel like this is a completely different championship. It's a proper animal. The car is an animal. Louis Sharp over in the British championships. He's likely going to end up on that path to Formula One, he looks the goods. But obviously, we've got to give these drivers time. Otherwise, it is a bit difficult, obviously. Aside from Louis Sharp, there's no one solid, solid at the moment who looks to have the backing and the sort of direction to go toward Formula One. All throughout the world, we're seeing Kiwi drivers pop up, and they're talented. They're all talented enough to excel where they're at. What about... Women on the, you know, motorsports stage, we've got people like Emma Gilmore, uh, you know, Courtney Duncan, although she's more motocross. She is a four-time world champion in motocross. She's dominant over there. And obviously Emma Gilmore racing for McLaren in the Extreme E Series, and she's done well in the New Zealand Rally Championship. Emma Gilmore trying to come around the upside. Gilmore going to get two with one move. Absolutely brilliant for the New Zealander. How healthy do you think the... New Zealand motor sport industry is as it stands now. It could definitely be better. We could definitely clean house in quite a few regards. Although, having said that, when it comes to the talent, we've got talent, you know, and we're seeing that now. Where we'll be in 10 years, I don't know. You know, it all remains to be seen, but I think the resurgence is very encouraging. We are seeing those drivers rise to the top. But are we hearing about it enough? Our motorsports is hardly broadcast to a far-reaching audience. No. And it's, it's, it's just like, oh, so-and-so won this championship. It's like, well, it's the first time I heard about it. I didn't even know this championship existed. It shouldn't be like that, especially when you're asking sponsors to fork out a lot of money. And it's just like, oh, what's our exposure? Oh, maybe a news article now and then. <laughs> you can't be like that. It does need to be better. That's it for today, I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Josh Rebel. Noho oro mai, ma te wa.